Welcome to the Brain Soul Success Show, where we learn, explore, and create your powerful positive healing for life. I'm your host, Louise Schwartzwalter. I'm the creator of a five-part mind-body-soul methodology that clears the subconscious blocks to success. From engaging transformational interviews, brain soul success stories, and the secrets shared by brain and spiritual experts, you will reconnect, revitalize, and transform your powerful life. It's time for you. Welcome back, everyone, to the Brain Soul Success Show. I have an awesome guest today. I'm so excited to be with Dr. Megan Walker. Um, she's just stellar in this whole world of entrepreneurology, right? Entrepreneurology. So you're a naturopathic doctor and an entrepreneurologist, which focuses on entrepreneurs and game changers. And you have a great history of a lot of businesses that you bore, you know, they were born and you sold them, right? So you started with your first business while you were in the university as the co-founder and past CEO of Digital Health, media startup, Bright Almond. You're the you found that business and then sold your first clinic, the Integrative Health Institute, after graduation from, from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. And then you went on and sold that micro practice, Anthropology Performance Labs. Um, and now you're currently, you're the host and the creator of the Anthropology Podcast, you're the CEO of the Anthropology Labs and the co-founder of Health Hives and the creator of Women's Performance Supplement Line. And I love how you say this, the badass fuel, right? Right. <laughs> that women need. Um, and the chief cheerleader at the Clinician Business Labs. And I know your passion is helping people find and live their purpose. As well. That it is. Yes. <laughs> and you are so very good at that. You just had an amazing event impact lives that you took online this year. I know you had some stellar results with that. I'm curious, Dr. Megan, you've done a lot of things in, in your, your young years here. Um, tell us more about a little bit about that history of how you even got into this world of naturopathy and natural health. What, what spurred you to go down that pathway? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And I feel like my journey with naturopathic medicine was really similar to so many of my colleagues where I had my own health issue and, uh, had an opportunity to see a naturopathic doctor. I had seen everybody, right. Which is always the story. I've seen everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I saw a naturopathic doctor and I don't, the first question he asked me was, um, talk to me about how your body has always and historically responded to stress. Mm -hmm. I don't remember my answer and I don't remember what he did, but I was so struck by the intelligence of the question because everyone else I had seen had asked me the same line of questioning, somehow expecting that they were going to have some new interpretation. And it was, it was this unique line of inquisition that I was so fascinated by. And, and if we want different results, we have to ask a different series of questions. I really think our life is, is really predicated on the quality of questions we ask. So mm -hmm. I had an opportunity uh, to meet this naturopathic doctor and I got better. And I was, I was just really fascinated in a system of medicine that addressed the root cause of disease. Mm -hmm. And I was still in high school, but I was like, huh, let's throw oh. this on my list of potential career options. And I want you to understand the context of that was I was going to be either a litigator 
or a fighter pilot. Like those were the two things that I wanted, I wanted to do on the other side. So this was not the same. Um, and then as I got closer to graduation and I was picking where I wanted to go and what I wanted to study, I couldn't shake this naturopathic medicine piece. Cause it was so intelligent. I was like, it's applicable to career in politics. It's applicable to engineering. It's applicable to anytime you're looking at a broader based system because mm-hmm. it's a systems based approach to solving problems. Um, and so I did a biology degree and entered naturopathic medicine and, uh, and the rest was kind of history, but what simultaneously happened along that route was, uh, I, I've am and I've always been an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And so once I really discovered and had language around what that is, because I was constantly creating things, I was like, oh, one of the things I love about naturopathic medicine is I have this capacity to integrate my interest in and health. I can, I can create and build whatever I want. Um, and so that's been a big part of my career is just sort of creating and building new ways that naturopathic medicine and, and frankly, just this philosophy of healing um, can penetrate the way we've always delivered healthcare. I love that. I love how you like blended your like You did blend your, your career interests in a sense, you know, totally. and, how, and how you got to that. Yeah. Like a systems approach. I've not heard it termed that way, but you're absolutely right. I believe in those questions as well. Um, It helps you target things. Yes. Yeah. My teacher said the question is more important than the answer. Absolutely. And I, and I, so, yeah, so we're on the same, same page there for sure. Um, So your first company, what was your first company again? Then you, you uh, create something right out of of school, actually. Well, I I was still in high school. I had, um, I've had. Uh, I've had two jobs in my life and I was fired from both of them. So I really realized this was a source of shame for like the first half of my life. And I'm like, Oh, I realize now it's a symptom. Um, and so I was still in high school and I, I, I left one of my summer jobs, uh, and still needed to earn some income. And I, I was a bit of a neat freak and had like a mom who like always was like fastidious about how we clean. And I was like, I'm going to start cleaning cottages. I was up at our, our cottage for the summer. And I was like, I'm not just going to clean cottages. I'm going to offer cottage cleaning to people on islands. Cause I bet they want their cottages clean too. And I had this little tin boat and I advertised this. And then over the course of three years, we grew it big enough. We had 11 different summer employees and I had it for four or five years and I sold it. And we had all sorts of different offshoots and offerings, but I was like, we're going to tackle the market that, that other people can't access. Um, and so it was called your chores. And that's what I did for those first five years. And then I was like, oh my gosh, like I am unemployable. Like I actually think I'm unemployable and I know I'm now unemployable, um, because there's something so awesome, about just creating this thing. So I'd work half the week and half the week I would sit on my dock and manage my business. And I was like, Oh, like, I don't know. I, there's no other way to do this life of mine, um, other than build things. So that's where it started. That's so awesome. You were an entrepreneur very, very young. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And good for you. Cause you know, a lot of businesses, they say, right. They only last or, you know, the first three years, they don't even succeed. So you succeeded at a very young, young age. And then you had another business too, uh, more of your, your micro practice, I guess. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I started my career, I opened a practice with a colleague. We had a large multidisciplinary clinic and I decided to leave that. I left it because, uh, she's still amazing. We're still really close friends, but, 
um, I was really committed to our mission, which was how do we connect more people to what I call upstream medicine, naturopathic medicine, functional medicine, the title doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. And so I also recognized that that mission trumped the model. And so I was spending so much of my time working with colleagues, helping them amplify their businesses. I was like, I can't do both. Um, so I left that, but it kept a, a micro practice. And in my micro practice was me still seeing my patients. We ran it out of a co-working space. We had a variety of different colleagues, um, but we, we shrunk the footprint of that practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I built that and, and was able to sell that. I sold that in the last year, just before actually so many of us went into lockdown with, um, with COVID over the last year. And again, it just came to this, this inflection point within my, my career and my ideal lifestyle, which was, you know, can I keep growing these other entities that we've created and continue to see patients. And I recognize that for me, it was really hard for me to go from macro level leadership down to the, the nuances and specifics and details of someone's health. And so I actually just found it really challenging to jump back and forth and, um, and then made the decision to step out of, uh, out of clinical practice again, because we've, we've got this mission we're on, um, and I'm more committed to the mission than the model in which we're delivering it. So it was just time. It was just time. Well, that was perfect timing for you, really. If it was just before lockdown. It, it was. I know. Listen, like the thing about 2020 is I like, you know, you look at the landscape and a lot of people have really have struggled this year. There's a lot of struggle that's happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. And then there's also just some like pockets of luck. Like I, I'll just call it full on luck. It was just the way the timing worked. There's a confluence of things that came together and I had to make a really quick decision. Am I going to go back in and be all in or a or am I going to, am I going to, I'm going to sell this. And I just, I was just really decisive. I was like, I'm going to sell it. And then a month later, literally everything went into lockdown and switched and changed. And, um, and so it was, it was good timing. It was awesome. You know what I just learned from you that I think is um, a wise, wise thing to maybe put out there to people. Um, you're good at making decisions, aren't you? I am. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what I see is entrepreneurs who are successful are good at making decisions and sticking to it. Yeah. And the other thing that I think informs that is Mm -hmm. that I think that's a really good observation around uh, entrepreneurs in general. And I found we came out of a renovation over the last, it took two years. Mm -hmm. And I was, I had a lot of decision fatigue on the backside of that. And I recognize now in in how I live my life, I have to protect my decision-making capacity. Mm -hmm. So making a series of, of small decisions. I think this is why clinically I was finding it really exhausting is I was, I was getting decision fatigue because you were making such important decisions, but so many of them that I wasn't able to make them. So I, I have noticed that actually, since I've stepped out of clinical practice, I've, I've refined even further my capacity to make decisions quickly. Um, and that's been a huge, huge asset uh, in particular this year. That's awesome observation and a great share for people listening here today, you know, um, and, and I guess I can relate because I'm in a very similar place. Um, I have a brick and mortar business. I have, you know, the micro, you know, the, the clients. Yeah. Um, and I too was very lucky because I started online five years ago. Right. So because I started online and I've grown that and grown my mastermind community. And it does, I do feel like I was positioned when lockdown happened. And I'm at that same pivotal place of balancing both of those. And I totally can hear you when you say, hey, your decision-making changed. You know, when you finally let go of this, you had more space. It's almost like your brain opened up and you had more space to do your real passion, which is helping people live their purpose. Yeah. 
Tell us about that. Why is finding and living your purpose, you know, so critical to our health? Yeah. Well, thank you for asking that because this really is one of my favorite things to talk about. And I want to be really clear that in this exploration of purpose, because I've heard people talk about this before. They're like, I'm going to talk about purpose. And I was like, oh, this is, this feels really flighty to me. Like it's really out there and, and not practical, but here's where it, it stemmed from was that I was starting to observe clinically with a level of confusion, why some people would get better and some people wouldn't, and that they would have the same sort of biochemical makeup. They'd come in at the same place in terms of the course of their disease. They'd have relatively similar, uh, socioeconomic access. They like, there's not as many dis there's not that many dissimilarities between the two cases. And yet some people would just flourish and recover and keep going. And other people were, were really caught lingering in that, in that condition. And I became really curious about that. And so I also got really curious about watching, women at a certain stage of life suddenly become depressed despite having an ecosystem of areas where they were engaged and, um, and friends and support network, all the things on paper we should check off and be like, I, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And so I, again, in sort of this line of inquisition, what I started to realize is that the differentiator in all of the populations that were flourishing biochemically and psychologically is people identified as having a sense of purpose in life. And their sense of purpose wasn't like, oh, making my kids meals. That wasn't a sense of purpose. That was usually a sense of duty. And I'm really happy to make the distinction in a few minutes. But it was this true sense of purpose. It was like, here's what I'm really good at. Here's how I recontribute to my community. Here's what gets me out of bed in the morning. People who had that recovered faster, they had less incidents of depression and anxiety. They, they returned to my office less frequently. It was just like, we knew this would be a home run case. If someone not only had a a will and desire to get better, but they could identify a sense of purpose. So I started to ask all my patients, I was like, what would, how do you identify in terms of having a sense of purpose in your life? And some people would look at me like I was crazy. And they'd be like, I told you I came in because I have eczema. That's my purpose. I'm like, no, eczema is not your purpose. Like, what do you, how do you identify this in your life? And then other people were like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you asked. I'm dying to talk about it. Like, this is why I get up in the morning. Those people always got, they always got better always. So then I got super curious around, gosh, I can't be the only clinician who's observing this. Like there's gotta be literature on this. And so I started to, I started to unpack the literature on it. Sure enough, what we found was people Mm -hmm. who identified as a sense of purpose had less incidence of neurological disorders, recovered from autoimmune conditions faster, had lower incidence of recurrence with respect to cancer, had lower incidence of stroke in individuals who'd already had previous cardiac events. This wasn't just one system in the body. This was, this transcended all systems. So it was really interesting to me as a clinician to start to realize in my experience, diet has an influence, exercise has an influence. The single biggest predictor in my clinical practice of someone's successful outcome was their sense of purpose in life. And so then I was like, we, we have to talk about of, of health. Like this is, this is where I want my, my work and legacy to go. Wow. I love how you got to that. I love the questioning that you asked yourself, you know, so that's what I'm also hearing is the good curiosity and the questions, you know, and the creativity behind that um, to come to that conclusion. And then the research that you did. Um, And of course, as I'm listening, you know, I guess uh, anyone who's listening to you right now, um, I hope your wheels are spinning in your brain too, you know, as you're listening to Dr. Megan here about what your purpose is. You know, so I'm speaking to our amazing audience here, you know, think about that, you know, do you have a purpose, you know, what is it that you get out of bed in the morning for, 
Um, and I can too, I can look at back at my own path again. That's how we relate. That's how the brain hooks onto things, right? Yeah. And go, yeah, I had an autoimmune thing, but yes, I was always blessed in what I did. And I always seemed to have a purpose. Mm-hmm. I always and had it, a driving force, even if it, right. even if it changed over the years, which it did. Yes. Yes. It does evolve. And here's what I was, I was starting to allude to this notion. Cause I would have a lot of people would say, well, my children are my purpose. And I would say, we're going to let's unpack this a little bit because the challenge of that is when your kids leave home, it mm-hmm. fundamentally impacts the identity of purpose in your life. So mm-hmm. I talk about career and I talk about children as being vocations or verticals in which your true purpose can shine, but it's a lot of responsibility to project that purpose onto the kids themselves. And so there's a really important distinction that exists there. Cool. Absolutely. So how does one then go about finding their purpose? I know this is like the million dollar question, right? (laughs) Okay. Thanks for unpacking this Megan. But like, so I, you know, listen, here's the thing is that there are things you can do to start to unlock what your purpose is, but there are also mindset pieces that have to be addressed before we step into that. So the first thing about addressing purpose is that you have to recognize and have a sense of Mm self-worth. So self-worth is foundational to being able to start to address purpose. So the thing it is like when I start to talk, uh, listen, and, and men have to address purpose as well, but predominantly it's women who get like massively curious about this up front is one, I say, we have to address the issue of self-worth. So you need to feel worthy of actually being able to act on your purpose. So we've got all these duties that we do as women. I got to take care of my kids. I got to take care of this. I got to take care of that. Great. But we also have to take care of you. We have to make you a shining example to that community that you've built in your family. So the self-worth piece matters. The second prerequisite is you need to create space to explore your purpose. You need space to be able to inquire and get curious about your life. That comes down to a time management piece. How do you define your time? How do you place value on different types of utilization of your time? And how do you carve out time to do this monumentally important work? So those are two things that have to be, uh, they have to be in place. Once we have that, then it's important to recognize that purpose is a confluence of a few different things. The first thing is usually your purpose. You can start to unpack it by looking at what you're good at. And again, you can't have a really honest conversation around that unless you've dealt with the self-worth thing. So for us to just, it's hard for us sometimes as people, right. To just be like, I'm actually a really good speaker. or I'm, I'm really good at this. I'm talented at art. I am not talented at art, but like, we're just not good at saying what I'm good at. It feels all weird. You gotta get really, you have to get really honest about where your natural skill sets lie. And they're usually the things that come easy to you. And you suspect everyone else is good at them too. The next thing that we need to have in place, if it's about purpose and not just about raw skill and talent is we need to identify the things that you love Like, what do you really love? It's amazing. You're an incredible artist. It's awesome that Andre Agassi was good at tennis. He didn't like it. It wasn't his purpose. It might've been a tool that got him there, but it wasn't his purpose. He's like, I don't like playing tennis. Right. So you have to, you have to love it. Yeah. The next thing that purpose, the third thing that purpose has to have is it has to, it has to serve in a capacity of contribution. So that purpose has to be able to serve someone or something other than yourself. So how can we take that talent and that thing that you love and put it into a context of service? It's one of the prerequisites for how purpose works for us. And then you don't have to have it, but it's optional and it's super awesome. This is what I love working with people on is then we can tap in and go, okay, wait, can we take the thing you love, the thing you're good at and the thing that can be of service? And now can we actually monetize it? 
And that's when you have the incredible privilege of being an entrepreneur who gets to live your purpose. Cause not all entrepreneurs do, but I'm like, well, imagine you get to have your cake and, and eat it too. Um, and so those are the four things that have to be, uh, have to be in place. Oh, that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. I loved how you outlined that. Um, you know, so how would we get to, you know, I'm just thinking of brain dumps right now too. I don't know. That's how my brain works. I go, okay, what would, how would we help people actually, um, get to know what they love? Is it just making a list of all the things that you love? Yeah, I could start with that. And again, you know, some people aren't, aren't great at it. Um, so I think it's sometimes really helpful to get the people who are closest to you Uh to share how, how would they answer that question about you? And same thing with respect to like, you know, sometimes I'd say to my husband, I'm like, what am I, like, what am I good at? And he'd be like, you're really good at this. I'm like, I had no idea. Like I had no idea that was actually even a talent. So, you know, you can have your own list, but then we've got our own lens and our own limiting beliefs and all those things that are going to accompany that. It's really helpful to just do like a 360 degree survey, like they do in the corporate world in terms of your, you know, your raw skill set. What are you, what do you bring to the table? You know what I think of? I think of being in the zone. Mm-hmm. I had a gentleman years ago, he was a fireman big burly guy sat in my chair. I was doing a biofeedback session on him. He goes, you know, when I'm fighting a fire, I like know exactly where my men need to be. I know we're going to like line them up here. We're going to save that building from burning. I can, you know, I can do that. I'm in the zone. Right. And he looked at me and he was like, can you help me be in the zone with relationships? Right. And I was like, wow, dude, you just like totally named something that's so powerful right there. So that was his passion was fighting fires. Right. He was doing his passion. Right. You know, um, but it, it's about all of us finding that. Yes. Finding yeah. that. And it sounds like you've got a great system to help people do that. And like you said, even monetize it then. Put all yeah. Well, and why not? Yeah. Why not? I mean, that's yeah. really what, you know, one of my teachers years ago said, if you're not using your gift in the world, you're not honoring God. Yeah. I was like, never forgot that. Well, and think of how many people get up. They're like, it's just memes Monday morning about how awful Monday morning is. We have to go in and do our thing. We don't like to do and blah, blah. It's hump day. Thank goodness. We made it to Wednesday. I was like, I don't want five sevenths of my life to be like, I'm dragging myself to the Friday night finish line so that I can get up and do the thing I hate all over again. And it, you know, I didn't mean to make people quit their jobs in clinical practice, but again, when you ask the right questions, like, can, can you share with me the role of going to work? Like what role, you know, you you spend your day doing something you don't love. Do you think that that is playing a role in your chronic illness? And they're just like, duh. Like it, it, it forces people to stop. I'm like, this, this is your life. Like, let's assume you're living this once what you're committing to is the next 30 years of doing something you absolutely don't love to do. Like, what if we just spent three months clearly identifying what your purpose could be? Let's just brainstorm on it. Mm-hmm. And that's where the question of the monetization piece came in. Cause they're like, great. Now I have my purpose and I can't live it in my corporate job. Like this hasn't been helpful to me, but I'm like, what if we came over here? And yeah. the question I ask everyone on my podcast at the end is entrepreneurship. Are we born this way? Do we learn to become entrepreneurs? And there's no clear cut answer. Half the people are like, I was born this way. I mean, I was born this way. This is like I said, no one's going to hire me. And then on the other side, we have people who are like, no, my, my purpose and my mission in this world was so strong. I had no option, but to become an entrepreneur. And so 
I really do believe that when we hone in sufficiently to that state, mm-hmm. we can make that happen. And I think that's a really powerful exit strategy for a lot of people who are caught engaged in a career or engaged in a series of daily activities where they don't see a way out of. Perfect. So you're helping people then from corporate to shift over to doing their purpose and their dream and become that entrepreneur. Yeah. I have a girlfriend and she works in HR at a big downtown corporate firm. And she was like, I want you to know that you have caused more people to quit our firm than anybody <laughs> else. I was like, Hey, you guys, you guys package people out. You should just send them to me. Cause I'll get them to leave on there. It's this running joke that if someone's like, Oh, I'm going to see Megan. She's like, we're going to lose them. Um, <laughs> but I, I, we don't mean to, it's just, I can't help but have this conversation because it's so profound. And it's not just me. Like if you, you read anything about the blue zones around the world, purpose always features in that longevity piece. You look at prominent individuals who've had, um, important careers even later in life like 102 and still kicking around. And they're like, I can't leave my, I'm still the mayor of wherever. Cause I can't, it gives me this strong sense of purpose and contribution. Um, so I think it's a really, really important factor to look at, at all stages of life. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's key. You know, what would really be cool. Um, I don't know if you have, you know, and I don't know, just got this idea. I thought I'd share it with you as you're, as you're speaking here. Yeah. Uh, there is, um, there would be such a, a need to help young people, even, even like you did in high school, high school and beginning college kids um, hone those entrepreneurial skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, even more so today yeah. than even 10 years ago. Oh yeah, this, this generation does not have job security. Yeah, yeah. You can go to college and come out with a degree and you're not gonna get to work in that degree. No. You know, so, so why not find your purpose and your passion now Mm -hmm. get something started? Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's a, it's powerful, not just for the individual, but it transcends the whole, the whole healthcare system. It trans like back to this idea, like full circle around addressing a system, a -hmm. population that is empowered to identify purpose and a society that values the exploration of purpose, I think is, is a healthier society, but you've, you've got people engaging and contributing in really innovative manners at that point. They're not going through the motions. They're like, how can I contribute? It's part of the process in terms of how they're thinking about how they want to engage in that broader society. So it's, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's neat, the touch points that it has. And look at where we are right now, Dr. Megan. I mean, Given the opportunities, we're all, you know, whatever, call it lockdown, COVID, whatever, you know, whatever's going on right now, we've been given the opportunity to do that self-work, mm-hmm. to do this, to the discovery right. of that purpose. It's just, it's the timing is impeccable for that. Yeah. And there's no better time to start to explore these things than when the system's under pressure. And it doesn't matter whether you've had a great 2020 or it's been a challenging 2020, your system's under pressure. Like we're not, we're not living in normal times. And that's when these, that's when these things actually start to flourish. We get really honest, really quickly, you know, back to this notion of decisiveness. Like you, you can't hesitate anymore. You just, you got to recognize where things are at and you've got to make a call. Right. And just go for it. So what's helped you then? What's the biggest factor that you would say has helped you become successful? Oh gosh. Um, such an interesting question. You know, I'm, I've always been someone who has been, I'm getting better at it, but reflected on when things don't work out. And I've also been someone who really draws a lot of meaning from 
all of my experiences. So I'm not someone who's like, Oh, I wish that whole phase had never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, for me, I feel like I was just kind of took that next right step, but I would like, I have this like, huge backpack of lessons that I acknowledged, um, I acknowledged along the way. And so once I was like committed to living my life on purpose, um, that, that made a huge part. And, you know, one of the other things is that I think that things for things to work out and for you to really step outside your comfort zone, there can't be a plan B. So there's been times, you know, with having three kids and a house and responsibility where I was the sole breadwinner. And so there was no messing around. Like I had to figure out a way to make it work. I had to step outside my comfort zone. It wasn't, this wasn't a nice to have, this was an absolute must, um, for my family. And I think that, I think when things become an absolute must and we can put that lens on things, uh, I think it drives us a little bit more than maybe we otherwise would have the privilege of, uh, driving ourselves. Perfect. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. So we're going to shift gears for a minute. I'm just going to ask you some kind of rapid fire questions. All right. Uh, All right. So, you know, what's your biggest self-care tip? How do you take care of yourself? Exercise. Exercise. Yeah. It's the one thing I can't miss. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Um, And who are some of your early mentors? Gosh, great question. Um, I mean, my dad was a huge mentor to me. He was in business. We talked about business since I was a really young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was like, he nine times out of 10, he ripped my ideas apart. And it was like the biggest gift because he taught me how to think like an entrepreneur, not just as someone I want to do this. Um, so he had a really huge role. Um, I'm really interested in leadership uh, at this point in my career. I love, I love watching other leaders. I love watching other decision makers. Um, one of the leaders I really love to watch is our deputy prime minister here in Canada. Her name's Christia Freeland. She's basically single-handedly running our government right now. Um, and she's an incredibly modest and intelligent, uh, woman. And, uh, so she's someone I'm really watching closely right now. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, and, and what about advice to, to someone just starting out? So if you're going to have a, a, somebody start out as an entrepreneur, a clinician, you know, um, what advice would you give them? Um, I would, I would really suggest people view failure as a status symbol. I think we work so hard coming out of a school system that rewards perfectionism. Mm-hmm. We work so hard to avoid failure because it's never been rewarded in our life. And I think we waste a ton of time on the other side of the institutionalization of school, avoiding failure when failure is the fastest way to learn lessons and the fastest way to realize that we are on the wrong path. So I think if we wasted less time trying to avoid failure and trying to avoid that, that fear, I think we'd get closer to our dreams a heck of a lot faster. Beautiful, beautiful, beautifully said. Yes, absolutely. We do learn more from our mistakes than (sighs) our successes. Absolutely. Totally. And if you listen to, you listen to leaders, you listen to people who've been successful in business, they're always going to tell you about how their failures, what was your biggest learning? Oh, it was the time I tried this and it didn't work. It was the time I tried this and it didn't, they're not like, it's when I got a hundred percent on my math test. Like the, right. it's the hundred percents don't teach you the lessons. It's when things don't work out. Um, and there's no great entrepreneur in this world who hasn't had also great, great failures. So it's, it's part, it's just part of the course. You've got it. And we need to, I think we need to reward it earlier. The failure piece, we need to reward earlier. Reward earlier. Very good. Very good. You know, I learned a lot when my son finally said to me, 
mom, you need to let me make mistakes. That's what you taught me. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. thank you for the reminder, honey. I did, I did a good job, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's about making those mistakes. Yeah. Um, what's your number one brain hack? Oh, my number one brain hack. Sleep. I can't name just one. Like you have to sleep. You have to sleep. Every time I have a good night's sleep, I'm amazed how good I feel. And I'm, I spent like 10 years in medical school. So you have to sleep. The other one I would say is particular when you're fatigued and you're pushing through, I'm a huge fan of organic grass-fed beef jerky. Like oh, very cool. These are great tips. <laughs> two o'clock in the afternoon when you're like, I can't think uh-huh. anymore. And you would normally reach for coffee and like organic grass-fed beef jerky. And your brain will be like, I'm with you, girl. I've got your back. There you go. And have that protein, right? Instead of going yeah. sugar. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Some healthy fats oh. for sure. Oh, that's awesome. What a great, great tip. Um, you know, if we were going to Google you, Dr. Megan, what would we find out um, about you? Actually, let me rephrase this. If we were going to Google you, what would we find? What will we not find on Google? Is my question. What would you not find on Google? I was going to say there's someone with my name who has a, like a dead animal museum. And I was like, so don't Google. Um, <laughs> what would you not find on Google? Gosh, that's a great, that's a great question. You know, I don't think you'd find very much about my love of playing in the outdoors. And that could be, you know, climbing trees to wakeboarding to, uh, any or all of the above, but I love the way that we can leverage and play with nature for a really great time. Play with nature. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, this has been just a gift, you know, thank you so much for sharing your insights. On, oh, my pleasure. You know, and the work that you're doing in the world and the good work you're doing in the world and how many people you're serving. And I know that you just got some amazing new people, you know, in, in your program here with your last big event. Um, it was stellar. I was, you know, blessed to be there for, for part of that. Oh, thank so again, you for I want coming. To thank, you. thank you for that. And gosh, keep doing your great work in the world. And, you know, and I want all of you, you know, we'll have Dr. Megan's information here. And I know you had a free gift too. Tell me what your free gift is again. Yeah, we've given everyone access to something we call the anthropology time system. So back to what I was speaking to before, you know, if we're going to start to explore this purpose thing, we have to start, we have to start to name our time. We have to start to adjust how we manage our time. Um, and so we've created a whole system around that. We've given everyone access to that training. Oh, that's great. A free training. Oh my gosh. You guys have to check this out <laughs> from, from Dr. Megan. So we'll have the link here below for you. Uh, so you can get that free gift and, uh, and look her up and continue to work with her. And, um, she's a great resource for question answering too, right? You're just really good at asking questions and helping people find their purpose. So I have no answers, but I'll ask yeah, a lot of questions. Question, no, it's the questions and, uh, right. and the work that you do with that and empowering people. So it's so awesome. So thank you for the work you're doing in the world and for being with us today. And my pleasure. Thanks um, for having me. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Louise. 